Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. And welcome to episode 42 of Killer Hangover. My name is Beth. And I'm Bettina. And this week we have true crime and paranormal stories from West Virginia. I'm so excited. I am too. I cannot wait to share this story with you. But mom has the paranormal, so she brought us the cocktail. What will we have a hangover from this week? You're not going to like this. Oh, no. But it was so <laughs> hard to find a drink from West Virginia. But they actually make a West Virginian fruit and berry bourbon. I don't. Okay. So it's mountain blackberry naturally flavored. 304 West Virginia fruit and berry. You can mix it all different ways. I'm sure. Some didn't sound... Well, some sounded better than others. So... <laughs> We both like the screwball, the peanut butter, yes. whiskey. Well, yes. So I made us a peanut butter and a jelly. And so this is a peanut butter and jelly cocktail. Yes. Peanut butter and jelly martini. Sort martini, of. sort of. Okay. I don't know. Just, I'll tell you what's in it after you drink it. <laughs> okay. Cheers, mom. Cheers. Okay, my initial reaction. The first sip of it is like, mm, okay, I taste a lot of the peanut butter. I can get a little bit of a berry, but then it has that aftertaste of like a berry medicine. <laughs> brings Almost. me back to my childhood. <laughs> it's supposed to bring you back to your childhood. With well, peanut butter and jelly, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's peanut butter, <laughs> it's peanut butter jelly time. If this doesn't bring you back to your childhood, nothing will. <laughs> Yes, being <laughs> force-fed my medicine. It's the adult version of your favorite sandwich. That's the description of this. I can see that. No, it's it's yummy. I, it's just that bitter aftertaste of like a, the berry that I'm not. I'm actually surprised I like it as much as I do because it's bourbon and whiskey. Mm -hmm. But it's that berry aftertaste I'm not fond of. And mm. it's, it's different. Mm -hmm. It's different. It's a lot of flavor going on there. It is. It's one and a half ounces of the West Virginia fruit berry, 304 Mountain Blackberry Bourbon, and one and a half ounces of the peanut butter whiskey. Mm -hmm. And then the ice, you pour it into the shaker and you shake it all up and then pour it into a martini glass, a well chilled martini glass, and you garnish with blackberries. <laughs> <laughs> Needless to say, we have no blackberries. So. <sighs> we never garnish. We still don't have a shaker. So this was very well stirred. Yeah. Sorry. I just bought one. Thank you, Amazon Prime. <laughs> we should have it. <laughs> Our podcast tomorrow. What episode is this? Episode 42. 42? <laughs> this is episode 42. And I just now got myself a shaker. 
Oh, that's all right. I, it, it's very well stirred. I stirred it for quite a while, so it should now be okay. Now is it like sat, like now that it that bitter berry taste is gone, it's not it's bad. Bitter. I don't think it's bitter at all. See, and that's just my personal take on it. Yeah, I don't think it's bitter. As, I think I think it's more sweet. But, but there is no mixer in this. It literally is just the bourbon and the whiskey. Oh, and, and ice. <laughs> Straight alcohol. <laughs> Woo! All right, well, I might save that for when you tear your paranormal story. I'll just chug it down then. <laughs> okay. Ugh. Don't hate me, Mom. Kids again. <laughs> My case this week is another one that deals with children. I'm so sorry. Jeez. But it's one that has had me intrigued for some time. It's another one that has a few conspiracies to it, and it has yet to be solved. Mm. This week's case is the case of the missing Sauter children. Maurice, Martha, Louis, Jenny, and Betty Sauter. I've That's heard of this. Five children have death certificates and legal documents claiming that they died in the fire at their family home Christmas Eve of 1945. But no remains of any of the children were ever found. Cries from the children were never heard when the house was ablaze. And many, many other odd occurrences happened during and leading up to the mysterious fire in Fayetteville, West Virginia. And parents, mother and father... I'll they, get there. I'll get there. I'll but get they there. did have parents. Yes, they had okay. parents. Yes, they had parents. So to begin with, I will tell you more about the Sauter family. We have a George, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> and course. one I will claim as one of our Georges. One of our Georges. Yes. Okay, good. George was the father born with the name Giorgio Sadu in Tula, Sardinia, Italy in 1895. He immigrated to the United States, sailed into Ellis Island with his brother when he was 13 years old. Oh, my goodness. As soon as they cleared customs, his brother turned around and went back to Italy. What? Leaving Giorgio, 13 years old, in New York City all on his own. Why? (laughs) I'm not exactly sure. That's just what I read everywhere. But he started to work for the Pennsylvania Railroad. He carried water and like supplies and stuff to the workers. And after a few years, he moved to West Virginia, where he worked as a driver for a truck company, Mm -hmm. like with the construction truck company. And after time, he proved himself very smart and a hard worker. And eventually he opens his own trucking company. They would haul like dirt and coal for construction companies. One day at a local store called the Music Box, which how cute is that name? I just thought that was I don't know. What does it sell? I think it was, it just said it was a little store, oh. like a little, like general store. I mean, if it sold hardware, Music Box is not really a good name. No, it wouldn't be. <laughs> he met Jenny Caprini, another Italian immigrant who came to the States when she was just three. They fell in love and soon they were married. And within a 20 year span, 1923 to 1943, they had 10 children. <laughs> A lot of love. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Fayetteville, West Virginia, where the family lived, was a smaller community. Within the community was a large amount of Italian immigrants that had settled there. Mm -hmm. I always find that really interesting. Like, why Fayetteville did that? You know what I mean? What drew them there? What drew them there? Yeah. And like here in Kansas City, we had neighborhoods that were 
mostly Italian. And even to this day, we still have like the Italian restaurant there and we have some of their relatives still living in those homes. And it's just interesting how that happens, I think. Well, ethnicities anyway gather because you've got German communities also. That's what I mean, exactly. And so I'm, I'm wondering if you're in the area, is it still a very prominent Italian community? today i'm right. just curious like do they still have really good restaurants there because gosh i love italian food oh pasta now i'm hungry <laughs> thank god i married into an italian family because my mother-in-law makes the best sauce Ugh, the best italian food okay anyway now that i'm hungry um now within this italian community of fayetteville George was very respected and his family lived a pretty middle class life. Mm-hmm. He worked hard and was respected. That being said, George was also known to be very opinionated. He was he had some pretty strong feelings about a lot of things like business, but mostly politics. He especially had a strong dislike of Mussolini. Oh, now we don't get political on this podcast, but just in case you don't know who Benito Mussolini is... He was an Italian politician and journalist who founded and led the National Fascist Party. He was a leader that believed in violence to uphold his stance in politics. He was buddy-buddy with that guy, um, Adolf Hitler. I don't know. Oh, that guy. Yeah, Yeah, I maybe heard of him. But yeah, Mussolini became the prime minister of Italy and was executed in 1945. Just like things are today with politics, everyone has their own beliefs. Some Italians liked the economy that Mussolini was working towards, and so they liked Mussolini. Right. And others, like George Sauter, did not. Okay. So I mentioned Mussolini for a reason, not just to give a history lesson. We will come back to him. But for now, no more politics. Moving on. Christmas Eve, 1945, all of the Sauters are all together for Christmas except for one son, Joseph, or Joe as he was called, was 21 and away doing some armying somewhere. Armying? Yes. He was in the army. (laughs) Okay. So all the younger children are super excited because, well, it's Christmas Eve, but big sister Marion had just brought them home some toys from her dime store job. Oh. So they were all playing with their toys and they're all excited about Christmas. Of course, they don't want to go to bed. It's Christmas Eve, and who wants to sleep on Christmas Eve (laughs) besides us parents? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And that was George and Jenny, the mom and the dad. They start to nod off there on the couch, so they decide it's time for bed. The older boys, John and George Jr., have already gone to bed. They had worked hard with their dad that day with the coal trucks. But the younger Sauter children beg their parents, can we please stay up just a little bit longer? (laughs) They want to play with their new toys And Jenny says, you know what? Fine. It's Christmas Eve. Do it. I don't care. But she reminded them they must feed the cows and check the chicken coop before they go to bed, as well as close the curtains, turn out the lights and lock the doors. So basically mom and dad are going to bed. Mom and dad are just pooped. They're just done. It's like between nine and ten and they're just like, do what you want, but make sure you do your chores, Mm -hmm. lock up and turn off the lights before you go to bed. How old are these children? So the children that are up are Maurice, who's 14, Martha is 12, Louis is 9, Jenny is 8, and little Betty is 5. Okay. And the children agree that they're going to do their chores. Jenny scoops up the youngest child, Sylvia, who is 2, and they head to bed. 
Around 12.30, Jenny is awoken to the phone ringing. She gets up to answer it, and she says it was a woman on the other line. She remembers hearing laughing and clinking glasses in the background, like a party was going on. Mm -hmm. The woman asked for someone that Jenny did not recognize, and Jenny told her this and remembered the woman letting out an odd laugh and then hanging up the phone. All right. Doesn't think anything of it, whatever. And Jenny starts walking back to bed and she sees that the lights are all left on. Those kiddos. Those kids. So she goes to turn off the lights, lock the door, and close the curtains. As she's doing this, she notices that the oldest that was left up, Marion, the -hmm. one who had brought all the toys, she was asleep on the couch. So she just assumed the other children must have gone upstairs to their room. So the other children slept The five children slept in like an attic. It was two rooms up in the attic area. And they kind of shared that adjoining space Mm -hmm. as their bedrooms. So she tidies up like us mothers do. And she climbed back into bed and started to drift off to sleep. Around 1 a.m. she was awoken again to a loud thud on the ceiling, followed by what she called a rolling noise. She sits up for a moment. But when no other noises are heard, she just rolls over and starts to fall back to sleep. Right. Not even 30 minutes later, she's awoken again, this time to the smell of smoke. Oh, no. She scoops up little Sylvia. I'm pretty sure she slept in her parents' room right. from mm-hmm. what I read. She woke her husband, George, up, and they yell for all the children to run outside. When they get outside, George assesses the situation. Now, like I said, I claim George as one of our own, and he is super dad. Like, you all are just going to adore the heart of this man by the end of it, but... He assesses the situation. Okay, my wife is here, little Sylvia, the older sons, John and George Jr., and daughter Marion. Okay, we're missing five. The five that are all upstairs in the attic. Now, these are his babies inside. Mm -hmm. So he does everything he can. The front door is engulfed in flames. So he tries to break into a window, totally cutting up his arm in the process. Now, later on, this is a memory that will stay with Sylvia, the two-year-old forever the two-year-old she says it's one of her first memories and i don't know if that's just because she's heard it so many times but she says she can vividly remember the fire the screaming from her family outside and her father frantically running around the house his arm cut up and covered in blood george rushed to the back of the house where he always kept a ladder leaning up against the home hoping to climb up to the top floor to his children but The ladder was gone. Oh, no. Okay, so thinking quickly, he sees his two trucks parked there near the house. He'll drive them over to the side of the house, climb up on top of them, and climb into the window. The truck won't start. He tries the second one, and that one won't start. Okay, that's just weird. The rain barrel on the side of the house is frozen over, so he can't even use that to put out the flames. And they are left outside watching their home burn with their children inside. Oh, my gosh. Now, if these occurrences weren't odd enough, things start to get even odder. So the oldest daughter, Marion, runs to a neighbor's house to phone the fire station. And the phones aren't working. No one seems to be able to get through. So starting here, I want to mention that it's at this point that I read and watched and listened to many, many different sources on this case. Mm -hmm. Each one had little details that were changed ever so slightly in each one. I'm going to just include all that I found in my research, but I just wanted you to be aware that little details in every source I read and watched and listened to were all just a little different. 
So I saw that local neighbors couldn't get any calls through the night of the fire and that someone had to drive into town. I also saw that she was able to get through and called and nobody was answering at the fire station. But regardless, they eventually do get a hold of them. And also, you have to know, at this time, the fire station apparently worked with like a phone tree, kind of. Right. So no one was actually at the firehouse. It's still volunteer fire. Yes. It's during the war. So they're limited on men. And it's Christmas Eve. Mm -hmm. So everybody was home. And I don't know why, you know, the logistics of it. But I also read that the fire chief couldn't drive the fire truck. So he had to wait until they could get a hold of somebody who could. Because like, he drove just, too much? No, just he couldn't physically drive it. <laughs> he didn't know how to drive it. So I don't I don't know what the necessarily the facts are. I just wanted to kind of include all of these options here. Regardless of all of it, the fact is, is that the fire station was two and a half miles from the solder house and it took them seven hours to get there. What? Seven hours? Yep. The home burnt for about 30 to 45 minutes before it started to filter out itself. But seven yeah. hours? Oh my gosh. Yeah. So upon going through the ash of what was left from the solder home, no remains from the five children were found leaving the fire chief to console George and Jenny, telling them that the fire had gotten so hot that they had totally burnt up, leaving no remains behind. Hmm, that's interesting, thought Jenny, because a lot of her kitchen appliances were still noticeably burnt, but left behind after the fire. A coroner's jury was put together, meaning like a group of people were put on a jury to kind of justify the events of the evening Mm -hmm. and it was deemed the fire was started from faulty wiring hmm thought george that doesn't seem right faulty wiring the one thing that haunted him was remembering as he watched his house burn down with his children potentially inside the christmas lights still sparkled from inside and outside the home as the fire was burning so it wouldn't be faulty if it were faulty wiring how would that even be possible right and to double check his thoughts, I actually reached out to a really close family friend of ours who's a fireman. And I asked him about this and he backed up my theory and he told me that faulty wiring would cause a short and trip the breaker, meaning no, no fault, lights, no lights. Right. Another interesting fact to make note of here, the fire started at the top of the house and the home was burning downwards. If it were faulty wiring, the electrical box, the components with the wires, is at ground level. So if it started there, it would slowly be on the first floor and then and reach go upwards. Up, right. I got you. Death certificates were issued to the Sodders for their lost five children. Even though they had their suspicions, they grieved by covering what was left of the home with five feet of dirt from around the area, eventually wanting to turn it into a garden or a memorial of sorts. Mm. But over time, their suspicions became more and more. And as they planted flowers in the memorial, they started to stitch together some odd moments that happened before, during, and after the fire. Why had they never heard their children call out for them during the fire? Right. And as horrible as it sounds, the smell of burning flesh is a terrible smell. And with five people burning, that would be a horrible, awful smell in the air. And that never occurred either. Hmm. The Sodders became convinced that their children had not burnt in the fire. They believed that the fire was a distraction from the fact that their children had been kidnapped. And for the rest of their lives, they set out to prove this. 
One day when coming to their garden to busy themselves with the flowers and pay tribute to their missing children, Sylvia, the youngest solder child, found a hard, round rubber object. Jenny was skeptical about the odd object, even considering this to be the item that hit the roof and rolled when she awoke the night of the fire. George was convinced that this was from a palm pineapple bomb, Mm -hmm. similar to those used in the war at the time. Okay. They became even more convinced that someone set their house on fire. So they think somebody threw that bomb up on the house and it lit the house on fire. And from what she heard and the timing of everything, about 30 minutes, Mm -hmm. the fire starting from the top of the house and working its way down. That's kind of where their assumptions lay. Jenny even got scientific with it and even did tests of her own. She burnt animal bones in many different ways and found that no matter what, bone fragments were always left behind. Something remaining. Right. Asking around, she learned that bones are left behind even after they burn at 2,000 degrees for two hours. Fragments of bone would still be left behind. And remember, some appliances of the home were still present. And the home only necessarily burned for like 30 to 45 minutes. Weird. The solder started going over other events leading to the fire that they found odd as well. So these are kind of the events that happened. One day a man came to the solder home looking for work. As he walked around the house with George, he saw the two fuse boxes. He checked them out and made a comment to George. Quote, those are going to cause a fire one day. Unquote. Now, George found that super odd because just a few days prior to this guy wandering up to the house looking for work, mm-hmm. he had had the electric company come out and check everything and rewire and get everything properly done because they had just had a new stove put in. Mm-hmm. And so he had had everything updated okay. just days before this guy came up to the house like right. that. So another thing that happened was the two older boys remembered the last few days before school break for Christmas. They remembered some men sitting in a car watching the younger solder children get off the bus and walk home a few times. Also, the night of the fire, witnesses remember seeing a man driving away in Mr. Sodder's block and tackle chain truck. Oh, which is if you don't know. I mean, come on. You don't know what that is. It's a truck with those long like hooks that people can use to lower engines into vehicles. Okay. Now, the man was found and questioned. He said that he used it. He was cutting the electrical lines to help the fire. That's what he told police. Uh, but it had been the phone lines he had cut. Hence why, I guess, oh. troubles with making calls and stuff. So was he really trying to help or did he have some part in this? Exactly what he was doing. Oh, he geez. was charged with theft, but nothing else came of that. Now, another suspicious thing that happened before the fire was a life insurance salesman came to the house And when George didn't go for the sale, the man got very mad and said, quote, your goddamn house is going up in smoke and your children are going to be destroyed. You're going to be paid for the dirty remarks you've been making about Mussolini, unquote. What? Case solved. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I mean, there we go. He knew everything that was going to happen. People (laughs) believed that the children had been captured by the mafia and sent back to Italy to live in an orphanage or that the children had just gone to live in Florida with Jenny's family. All of this, of course, was looked into and the children were never Never. found. Now, of course, 
Here's where more conspiracy theories are, but the children were apparently seen after the fire. All five of them? Mm-hmm. Christmas Day, they were seen at a tourist stop. The woman claimed to serve them breakfast and that they got into a car with Florida plates. Like the theory that they were in Florida with Jenny's extended family. But like I said, that was looked into. And I guess police even went out to Florida and like tested that all the children they found there belonged to the family that was there. And yeah. Was Jenny not close to her family? I mean, wouldn't her family have let her know that the children were down there if the children were actually down there? Or maybe she did know and she just sent them there. Oh. You see what I'm saying? Oh. Oh. But... That was all misproven. Like, it wasn't fact at all. Anyway, and on the night of the fire, a witness claimed that they even saw the children in a car driving away from the fire. Wow. Yeah, but they couldn't make out the driver. So it's just, it's bizarre. Did they really see these kids? Like, we just don't know. This is in 1945. So And you have that weird woman calling and laughing. Yeah. and Like, from a party. Yeah. So who's calling from a party? And why are they calling them? Exactly. And then there was a woman in Charleston, West Virginia, at a hotel who claimed to see the children as well. It was about a week after the fire, and she said that that the children were with two Italian men and two Italian-looking women. She said she tried to talk with the children, but the two men became hostile with her and refused her to get anywhere near them. So all of these sightings and many others were followed up all by George, by oh, super geez. dad George himself. George, I guess, even saw a picture in the newspaper from New York of like a classroom of kids for Christmas or the New Year, just right. something. And he swore one of the girls in the picture looked like Betty, the youngest. She was five. Mm-hmm. He drove to New York to find her. The family refused to let him see the girl. And it was later determined, obviously, it was not Betty. But super dad George did everything he could. Oh, that just breaks my heart. Jeez. I know. Another odd thing I forgot to mention was the ladder that was usually usually up against the side of the house. It was found in an embankment, like away from the house. Someone had tossed it. Yeah. And that ladder was probably always there for emergency reasons. Always there against the house. So the kids could get out of the attic during a fire. Isn't that bizarre? It all is just so bizarre to me. So... The family hired a few private investigators. One was C.C. Tinsley. (laughs) This is very 40s to me. Yeah, C.C. Tinsley. (laughs) Private investigator. Now, he found that the life insurance salesman was also on the coroner's jury. That group of people that said that the fire was from faulty wiring. Mm Mm-hmm interesting that the jury didn't interview these people beforehand like it just doesn't but that's all i could find on the stupid salesman like a podcast i listened to said that the salesman was also or friends with george's old boss from that trucking company he was first working for and that that guy even had insurance on george's house if anything happened to the house and he did end up getting a payout for when the house burnt up like five thousand dollars or something minimum like that right but he apparently either was this life insurance salesman or was friends with or hired or something and i read that in a couple other places too but it's like okay well that right there looks like it solved the case but I couldn't find anything else that that was followed up on or proven or anything. Right. Wow. Okay. And another thing he found was the townspeople told him. So the townspeople told C.C. Tinsley that the minister knew something. Now, why is the minister out there gossiping? I'm not sure. (laughs) 
But the minister told him that the fire chief had told him that despite what he told the Sodders, remains had been found. What? And that he would lie about that. Oh, just wait. And that he had found a heart and he had buried it in a box in the woods where the Sodder house had once stood. Uh -uh. So C.C. Tinsley looks into this and he has the fire chief take him to this heart in a box. And sure enough, there is a box buried with something in it. But after tests, it proves to be beef liver. And it was like fresh. What? And it had never been anywhere near a fire. So it's like. Okay, that's just gross. This, and then this guy. It makes no sense whatsoever. No. And a coroner would never lie to parents about their children not being found. That doesn't make any sense. The whole thing does. So the fire chief. It sounds like he heard that C.C. Tinsley heard that he had told a minister about some heart in a box. So then he goes out in the woods and is like, what looks like a heart? Okay, beef liver. So he just like gets beef liver and buries it really fast so that C.C. Tinsley has something to unbury. But it just doesn't make any, any sense. sense. <laughs> What's in the box? That's a heart. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And like, why wasn't he in, get in trouble for that? But he doesn't. It's just like everywhere really around, break. it's like, here are the facts of the case. And this guy went out and buried some beef liver and said it was a child's heart, but it wasn't. He didn't the really end. break any rules. I, I mean, know, he but didn't then break he was, any laws. It he was, was saying a that bad he did thing. the whole scam to make them put them at peace that, you know, pieces of their children were found. But it's like, Jeez. okay. Like, but he didn't break any laws. So that's just, why he wasn't. But that's just he still. He broke the stupid law. He's stupid. Four years later, the Sodders hire a pathologist, Oscar B. Hunter. He excavated some dirt to find remains, and he did find something. He found a human vertebrae. He oh sent gosh. it to the Smithsonian for testing. The good old Smithsonian. And this is... I just think of bones. <laughs> and this is even before that fire in the 70s <laughs> where they spit that poor guy out. Or they spit... Yeah. That poor guy out. No, they weren't <laughs> eating him. No, they spit they water spit in that water poor guy. <laughs> but they found that because of how the bones had fused together, so as time as you grow, your bones start to fuse together. And this shows that it was from a male of 16 or older. But they weren't missing any of their But the older oldest children. boy that was lost was Lewis. 14. And he was 14. <laughs> Good memory. <laughs> So that didn't add up. Mm -mm. And the bones had never had contact with fire. So it is believed that the what bones the came from... I here, just wait. It's believed that the bones came from the dirt that Mr. Sodder had used to fill in the house to plant the garden. Okay. Who the hell do these bones belong to? It's very nourishing to the plants. <laughs> if you throw in a bit of vertebrae... Well, and then just like your last week's podcast, the Smithsonian gives the bones back to Mr. Sauter because no one, that's who they, I guess, belonged to. All right. But then nobody has any idea whatever happened to those bones. They've kind of vanished after all of this. <laughs> and I thought that was so odd <laughs> when I read all of this. Oh, Mr. Sauter, so maybe odd. he did use it for fertilization after he found that it wasn't any of his kids. But... I mean, so they got weird. dirt to fill in the house about five feet of dirt. So maybe they thought that the body came from the cemetery or something. But hold on. Why would George Sauter go out and grab dirt from a cemetery to fill in his house? 
When from what I read, he just took dirt from like the local woods, like from around his house and to fill in the house. And wouldn't the body be in a pine, at least a pine box? Yeah. Wouldn't there be more than a vertebrae? It just doesn't make any freaking sense. <laughs> I just thought that part was so odd. The whole story is odd, Beth. Okay, that's true. <laughs> So after the Smithsonian had gotten involved, and obviously all of this attention is now on the fire department and the local police for the case, the governor of West Virginia stepped in and held a hearing at the state capitol, officially declaring that the Sodder case was closed. Oh, those poor parents. There is no closure, though. There's nothing that has been solved. And I'm sorry, but this guy, excuse my language, is a total ass because He even told George and Jenny, you guys, your search is hopeless. Enjoy your four other children because the five, you know, they're just gone. Well, five other. Remember the one, they had 10. The one was just away armying somewhere. Oh, (laughs) yeah. Don't forget Joe, the The, armying man. The arming guy. (laughs) (laughs) So this led to Super Dad George and Mama Jenny to set up a billboard with photos of their missing babies and even a total description of the case. I'm going to post a picture of this billboard, but I'm also going to read to you what it said. Quote, On Christmas Eve, 1945, our home was set afire and five of our children, ages 5 through 14, were kidnapped. The officials blame defective wiring, although lights were still burning after the fire started. The official report stated that the children died in the fire, However, no bones were found in the residue, and there was no smell of burning flesh during or after the fire. What was the motive of the law officers involved? What did they have to gain by making us suffer all these years of injustice? Why did they lie and force us to accept those lies? Unquote. So I guess, too, when they went to go investigate the fire afterwards, they maybe spent 30 minutes going through everything jeez they just did such lacks so bringing back up our family friend he's a firefighter out here in kansas city he was a big help in answering all my questions so shout out to you wade he said quote all i'm saying is with today's amounts of plastics runners and synthetic fibers in homes compared to the 1940s house fires burn much hotter today And I've never seen anybody's burn so bad that has completely turns to ash, unquote. Hmm. So in the 1940s, it's not going to burn more than 2000 degrees. Right. And it's like that lady from Jack Cole Road. Yeah. I talked about. Yes. That the three dogs remains were found, but hers was never found. I know. It's so odd. So over the years, there were other sightings of the children. I have to mention a woman claimed that one of the daughters was in St. Louis, Missouri, at a convent there. George followed that lead, but nothing. And even a photo was sent to Jenny in 1968. Now, it's kind of eerie, but the photo greatly resembles what people would believe to be Lewis, older. So Lewis was nine when the fire happened, and this photo shows a man in his 20s, which would make sense. And, I mean, the eyebrows. Here, Mom, I'm going to show you a a picture of the comparisons here. That's interesting. He's a very, very nice-looking young man. Oh, he's very handsome. But do you see the similarities in their their eyebrows? And Um, I do. 
their eyebrows, but their lips are very different. Oh, you think? Yeah. Uh, the older man, his lips are much thicker. Mm-hmm. And the little boy has very thin lips. Jenny swore it was her son. George and Jenny swore it was her son. Uh, I'm and sorry, Beth. I mean, it, there are a lot of similarities. Sure. But I would, if I had lost my child and something like this, like that would be this similar, I would swear it was my son too. Well, yeah. That's, I mean, yeah, I can see that. It's a it's pretty eerie resemblance. Again, I'll post this photo as well. But what's even creepier is the inscription on the back of the photo. It said in almost childlike handwriting, quote, Louis Sauter, I love brother Frankie, little boys, A90132, or 35. What? Unquote. What does that even mean? There was no return address, but it was postmarked from Kentucky. So some speculated that the number is to be a zip code in Italy, but I don't know. So the postcard had the postcard what? had a picture of the older man of, of the 20 year old. And then on the back, that's what it said. That doesn't make any sense. No, it was just addressed to Jenny. Jeez. So George hired another private investigator to track this man down where this photo came from in Kentucky. Mm Because that's all they had. There was no return address, like I said, but it was postmarked in Kentucky. So he sent the private investigator to Kentucky to find this guy or find out somebody that knew about this picture. And wouldn't you know it, the private detective was never seen or heard from again. Huh? He vanished. Uh Uh-uh. Yes. Private investigator went missing. Now, some speculate that he took the money and ran. Right. But how odd, right? Jeez. So the billboard remained standing for 40 years. Oh. It was torn down after Jenny's death in 1989. George had already passed in 1969. Sylvia, remember the youngest of the Sauter children, was two at the time of the fire. Now, from what I understand, she is still alive today. And her children are still fighting to solve this case her daughter jenny henthorne says to post any information on websleuths.com quote my mom promised my grandmother that she would never let the story die that's what my brother and i are doing now unquote so that's what i got for you mama i just don't know how five children can disappear five i mean a one, two would be hard to even wrap your mind, but five, five children. And I think the most suspicious person to me is that fire chief. I have here in my notes, his name was F.J. Morris. And I think he's just pretty suspicious to me with the liver and then took seven hours and then they didn't even really search and like he knew yeah, where they were. or what was happening. So he was going to hold off. But I. I mean, we could have all the suspicions in the world. Well, unfortunately, we'll never know. I don't think. I mean, my hope, of course, is that the children are still alive. But if they were, wouldn't they have gotten in contact with their with their family? parents? Maybe not the youngest. Betty was five. So maybe she just grew up thinking whatever she right. was thinking. But the oldest was 14. Yeah. Isn't that odd? No, the whole thing is odd. And then the vertebrae being buried in the backyard. And then a vertebrae being found in the the rubble that he filled in the home with. And then that 
private investigator going missing and the salesman knowing exactly what was going to happen to the home that being burnt and his children dying he he said that that in his threat that's what he said that is just the oddest story i know so i'm sorry it involved kids again but i've been super intrigued by this case for a while and i've been waiting to share it to share it with you all yeah that's crazy i know to you, five missing solder children, we take a drink of peanut butter and jelly. Oh, poor babies. I know. No, poor parents. Mm. God, I just can't imagine. I mean, their whole life, there's this terribly sad photo of Jenny and George in front of the billboard, and they're just, you know, along in years, older. Right. And they just up kept that bill, up kept, kept up that billboard. Yeah, sorry. Um, For as long as they could. Until they passed, and it's just, ugh, it's gut wrenching. No, it is. I mean, being I, a- I, I would do anything in my power to figure out what happened. To and then when one of my children, let alone five, and then when there's no answers, and you're not even be, you can't even get answers from your local from authorities. the people that you trust or yeah. supposedly trust. So they actually had contact with Jagger Hoover and the FBI. Yeah. And the FBI were like, yeah, let's look into this, but we need support from your local authorities to do so because they it's gonna, because, yeah, because of the matter. They're right. Jurisdiction they and everything. The police and the fire station would not let the FBI step in. Now, if that doesn't make it even more suspicious. Jeez. Yeah. Why would a fire chief not know how to drive the fire truck? I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. And they were, I mean, the firehouse was two and a half miles from the solder home. I could have walked faster than seven hours. The whole thing was screwed up. Makes you wonder. Huh. All right. Moving on. To the paranormal. To the paranormal, please. Although that could probably be paranormal because it's so... A random vertebrae being dug up. It's so unanswered. And then the beef jerky... (laughs) wasn't beef jerky <laughs> in the box <laughs> there's the title of our episode right there peanut butter and jelly and beef jerky in the box <laughs> all right so my paranormal takes place in princeton west virginia okay i came across the paranormal site that i don't think we've ever covered before believe it or not oh so something we have a location covered. we've not covered before right okay This is a kind of place that gives me the creeps. If I went there during the day, it would give me the creeps. Even during the day? I don't think I'd go there at night. Okay. Oh, I'm talking about the Lake Shawnee Amusement Park. An amusement park? You wouldn't go? In Princeton, West Virginia. Is it abandoned? It's dilapidated. (gasps) It's what, Mom? Dilapidated. 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 (laughs) Dilapidated? Potato, potato. What is it? I don't have my phone. It's dilapidated. Yes! <laughs> so it's run down like it's not used anymore. Like it's dilapidated. <laughs> like it's dilapidated. It's abandoned. Yes. Okay, that is spooky. Oh, uh, listeners may have heard of it as it's been aired on ABC Family in two. T- 2002 as one of the scariest places on earth wow i I guess in 2002 there's um there's a series cool 
and it was the scariest cool. places yeah, on earth and I this remember was that. one episode yep i remember that and in 2010 it aired on the travel channel part five episode of the most terrifying places in america oh my gosh so what in the world makes this place so terrifying it's an amusement park it's just roller coasters and it's not even a roller coaster what there's no roller coasters Mm-mm. it's a ferris wheel but the trees and the bushes and stuff have grown up through the Ferris wheel spokes and stuff. And like Mother Nature is taking over. It's just a Ferris wheel that's left? It's a Ferris wheel and swings. So when the world makes this so terrifying that my <laughs> computer just went out. Well, let's start with the fact that it's a Native American burial ground. So they put this on a Native American... Okay. As we've discovered in the past, building on top of such a site is not such a good idea. Not such a good idea at all. Then during the late 1700s. You might find some vertebrae. Mitchell Clay stalked out the land. Sorry. Mitchell Clay staked out the land. <laughs> I did finish. I stalked I out. I finished my drink. Oh, you no. may be talking like me after your drink. Okay. <laughs> So then during the late 1700s, Mitchell Clay staked out the land and established an 800-acre farm in the section of West Virginia. Along with the farming, a couple also raised 14 children. Now the story goes... 14? 14. Dang, these families have a lot of kids. Now the story goes that... What's in in the water in West Virginia? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, but I'm happy we weren't drinking it. Now, the story goes that in 1783, a horrible tragedy struck the family. Mitchell had his two sons working out in the field building a fence, and his daughters were at the riverbank washing clothes. It was at this time that a small band of Native Americans snuck into the field and shot to death one of the sons, Bartley Clay. Tabitha Clay, the oldest daughter, was at the riverbank. She heard the shots, and she ran to see what they were. They shot him with a gun? Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. She tried to defend her brother. Mm. And in doing so, was also killed with a knife. She was, like, totally torn up. Oh, my gosh. Another son, Ezekiel, was captured and later burned at the stake. What? Yeah. Clay, of course, wanted revenge. So with the help of other settlers, they tracked down and killed several Native Americans. So now the land has been scarred and bloodied. The land sat, not attracting much attention until the 1920s when businessman Conley Snido bought the land with the sole purpose of building a -a one-of-a-kind amusement park, Lake Shawnee. The park had a swimming hole and a pond with two water slides and several diving boards. Oh. The park had a Ferris wheel and swings, and for the adults, there was a speakeasy and a dance hall. Heck Yes. All in all, the park was a popular destination for families in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. By now, you should know what's coming because (laughs) the Ferris wheel no longer runs. Okay. Um, (laughs) Tragedy struck once again. So actually, three times. On two different occasions, two boys died of drowning. One in the pond and the other in the swimming hole that wasn't even used for swimming. They drowned? 
Then in 1966, a little girl was riding on the swings that I told you about. Mm-hmm. And these are the big ones that when they swing, they really swing. Um, <laughs> you know, you know what I'm talking about. I do now that you've shown me, but they can't see you. <laughs> They're like, but you can. Swinging your arm around like a cowboy over like there. They have several swings attached to it and they all. Yes. Just, okay. And just go so, in a circle. Exactly. <laughs> fly in a circle. Yes. Anyway, a delivery truck backed into the swings to turn around. What? And it hit the swing that the little girl was on, and it killed the little girl. Oh, my gosh. This caused the closure of the park between the two little boys dying and the little girl. The rides were sold off, and the park was quiet until 1980s, when the White family decided to open the park. They bought a Ferris wheel, so the one that's on there... Is not the original one. So they went and they bought an old a new one. Ferris wheel. Okay. Okay. A new old one. And of course, <laughs> they wanted swings also. So this part's this part's really cool. The family found a swing in New Jersey, loaded it up, and placed it on the land. After all of this, they ran the serial number on the swing and found out that it was the exact <gasps> one that used to be at the park. Oh, that is so Isn't that spooky. crazy. The Whites added some other smaller rides along with paddle boats and a stage for entertainment. But after only three years, the family is forced to close the park. Three years? Due to unbelievable insurance rates. Oh, yeah. Then in the 1990s. Those insurance men, man. (laughs) There's our our tie right there. It's probably a liability. Oh, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm absolutely sure. Then, in the 1990s, while digging in a field on the land, arrowheads and pottery were found. That's really neat. The family invited archaeologists from Marshall University to dig for more artifacts, which they found. But then, apparently, stopped when they started finding children's graves. Perhaps it was some kind of flu or disease, but to protect the rest of the tribe, the elderly and the children were probably left behind by a Native American group, and experts believe that there are about 3,000 bodies buried there. What? Between children and the elderly. Oh, my goodness. So, now, what do you do with this land? (laughs) Well, you make it a destination again, but this time for tours and ghost stories, especially during the Halloween season. It was, however, discovered that this one season was not enough. Because people That's just... That's not going to keep a business afloat just one, one and a half months But people a poured in. Oh, I'm sure, they, but that's you know, still not going to be enough. Paranormal groups and ghost hunters began asking for permission to visit the site all year round. Cool. Yeah. And that's when Travel Channel and Discovery Channel and ABC Family and National Geographic all contacted the family and filmed at Lake Shawnee. White has even done a phone interview with Howard Stern. <laughs> on it oh gosh so is this land which has seen so much tragedy sorry that was really stupid this drink does get to your head (laughs) i know so is this land which has seen so much tragedy really haunted let me tell you personal stories and videos are definitely easy to find on this cool the place has a creep factor even in the daylight yeah it's an abandoned amusement park there's an old rundown haunted house (gasps) Oh, my gosh. There's, I think, two abandoned school buses on the property. Random. 
the Ferris wheel and swings are still there, but are starting to totally be to- taken over by nature. Oh my gosh, I would totally go here. Did I mention the toys, especially dolls and teddy bears left on the property for the dead children? The, yeah, of course. Then of things course. get re- What's wrong with this drink? <laughs> of course. <laughs> then things get real at night. Visitors have heard footsteps, children's voices speaking and singing. Several times a face has been seen peering in one of the windows of the school bus, peering out. Yeah. One of the swings will move on its own with no other swings moving. Ooh, to me, that is that creepier is than so anything. Creepy. There's a terrifying story of a paranormal investigator getting stuck in the old ticket booth. <gasps> so there's, it's just this little. Like a size of a porta potty? A little bigger than that. Okay. Okay. So she's stuck in it. Uh-oh. She cannot get out. She's oh. screaming for help. She's panicky. She's absolutely paranoid at this point. Oh, yeah, but it's just closing in on her. No one heard her. Ugh. And all she had to do was push the door to get it open. <laughs> Beth. Oh, no. But oh, she couldn't no. push the door. The door wouldn't push open. Oh, so some. Okay. So it's not like my situation where my two year old just locked me out of the house and I was running around the house like a banshee screaming, screaming. trying to get in the house, ringing the bell. And, and meanwhile, the front door me. is already unlocked. Meanwhile, the front door was unlocked. No, this poor girl. <sighs> I don't know how or whether she lost it and she really couldn't get it open. But all she had to do was push on that door to get it open. Oh. And she couldn't do it. How terrifying. So how'd they get her out? Did somebody finally come save her? Yes. And she became so terrified and panicky that when they finally got her out of the booth, she had to be brought to the hospital. Oh, my gosh. She was so beyond, sad. beyond herself. We've missed it this year. Because we're, now we're in November, but in October, there's an event called the Dark Carnival. Ooh, ooh, it begins ooh. at dusk, and people share their own scary stories of the park. Then there's a tour and a bonfire. That sounds awesome. Oh my gosh. I just heard, what What was I watching? I just heard what the word bonfire came from. Bonfire. Yeah, they talked about that in that haunting movie. In that haunted movie. That silly show that you've been binging. Binging. Do you remember what it is? Because they used to throw bones into the bonfire. It used to be called a bonfire because they threw bones in there to forget the past and move on to the future. So let things go. So bonfire was originally known as bonefire. Well, according to the haunting of Bly Manor. I so believe it. It makes total (laughs) sense. Oh, and just for you, Beth. Oh, no. There's a corn maze with creepy clowns. Okay, no. I do not (laughs) do clowns. (laughs) And even when you're going through... Okay, so the corn maze has the clowns. So does the haunted house. But it's people dressed up as clowns jumping out at you? No, there's like... Or there's just like figurines in there. Well, the corn maze, I don't know. But oh, I the, bet it's people dressed as clowns, but which I would never, ever, ever set foot the in. The haunted house, which, you know, people can go through. They had videos of it. It was like these black tarps lined where the walls kind of okay. led you in the direction that you're supposed to go. Okay. And you'd round a corner and all of a sudden there'd be a clown. You know, like my heart just started being there. super, super fast. I It's not just clowns for me, though. It's people dressed in costumes, like I even get scared taking my boys to see the Easter Bunny. 
or those things at baseball games you guys know my husband plays baseball and we go to many baseball games and even those mascot mascots scared the bejesus out of me people in costumes because you don't know what the people are in those costumes you're so weird oh sorry there is camping allowed for those that dare oh i so would except for the damn clown <laughs> So ghost or no ghost, you will not. No ghost. Ghost is no ghost. Ghost or no ghost. You would not find me wandering the fields or in the haunted house at night. There are spiders. There's quite a few spiders you oh. can see. But, Real ones. You know me. No big deal about the spiders. No, oh, I don't do spiders. No big deal about the ghosts or the scary that I can handle that too. <laughs> the one thing I cannot handle <laughs> that comes out at night. Snakes. Snakes. <laughs> Are there a lot of snakes in there West Virginia? Ain't. No way. I don't know. I didn't see any and nobody reported seeing any. But it's late at night and those suckers come out at night. <laughs> and they were more worried about the dang spiders. I'm like... Why are you looking up, worrying about spiders? Why are you not slithering at your feet down on the ground, looking at for snakes? <laughs> so, if you want to listen to some people's stories, you can visit www.wvlakeshawnee.com, and it's a visitor stories. Of course, there's other stories. Now, I don't know whether this is true or not, but there was a comment made that um, Ghost Adventures, which of course always wants to investigate the uh, most scary places. Of course. You know, Ghost Adventures was not allowed allowed to visit the site. And the reason Zach being is made because somebody mad there. the owner did not want Zach to yell or speak harshly to the children. Oh, okay. That well, hold on. Hold, hold, hold on. Back up. Ghost Adventures, Zachary, and everybody aside. Honestly, Mom, I do not believe in sp children's spirits. I thought one visited me when I was on a paranormal investigation once at Belvoir Winery here right. in Liberty. But the more and more I think about it, they're just children. I just can't believe a child would be a ghost. Because you believe they're just in so their innocence. And I would but just what believe if they there's would pass something on. a residual child maybe but then it's not a real like there's no spirit there like it's just a residual memory what if or there's whatever something stopping them what if they were murdered and there's something stopping them like but I just believe something that that could needs happen. to help them over to the other side I, I don't know I don't I don't know but I would just hate to think of a child stuck like that no it's yeah but i've heard of a lot of places not really liking when ghost adventures comes to investigate because they bring out the they always talk about they always try to find that demonic story wherever they investigate and sometimes that's not even like the story but they just want to try to dwell on that and make it scarier than it really is right. when it's just a spirit that might need help crossing over. Now, right. if they went into investigations to like help spirits cross over, that's something else. Right. They did something about it, but it's like they go in, they get evidence, and then they go out. And they're scared to death of everything. And they're always scared. <laughs> They've been doing this for years. It's like, did you I'm hear sorry. that whispering? <gasps> did you hear that whispering? <gasps> it's like, okay, well, you went in to find whispering, so go, go whisper with it. <laughs> Especially Aaron. I love him. 
I just absolutely love his facial expression. His eyes just open real wide. And he's like, dude, dude. I know. Did you hear that? <laughs> You're going on a paranormal investigation. You're going to find these things. Why are we acting scared every week? But ladies and gentlemen, we watch it every <laughs> week. The first thing mom said when she got to my house was, well, do we have any new, new Ghost, Ghost Adventures, Adventures to watch? watch? Because <laughs> at my house, I have to watch them by myself. So when I they come, are entertaining. When I come here, I love to watch them with Beth and Alex. They're so. just very entertaining. Oh, okay. Now, please, listeners, remember this is private property. Yes, always remember a lot of these places we cover are. And arrangements do have to be made with the owners for imp- private investigations. That's easy enough. Like Shawnee at yahoo.com. There's also a phone number um, that we can list. But very, very interesting, very active place oh to visit. We're adding this to our list. But definitely get permission. We are adding this to our list. This is so cool. <laughs> you can go during the day and then you can leave and I'll stay. Okay. <laughs> well, not by myself. <laughs> you you and the clowns. <laughs> no, because I'm not going to go during that time. <sighs> okay. Yeah, this um cocktail martini, whatever you want to call it, it does sneak up on you. It gets better and better with every sip. It does. I didn't like the first two, three drinks and then all of a sudden, oh, my drink is gone. <laughs> she goes mom i think you're gonna have to drink mine (laughs) i don't think i'm gonna like this yeah i I didn't have to drink it all right so next week we'll get our uh we'll get our next buzz from uh wisconsin wisconsin oh yeah there's an old one there i want to share with you old old true crime okay unsolved okay there you go episode 42 Nice doing business with you. <laughs> oh, find pictures from this episode and others on our social media and our website. Killerhangover.wordpress.com Thank you so much for listening. If you like us, which hopefully you do, leave us a review. Okay, Dr. Seuss. You drink some peanut butter and jelly and you become Dr. Seuss. Back to your childhood. My childhood was Shel Silverstein. Yep. Where the sidewalk ends. Mm-hmm. We have something really exciting to share with you guys. We have enough stories now. We are going to start releasing listeners' episodes. Oh, I'm so excited. So, mom's birthday is May 7th. My birthday is January 7th. So, we figured, hmm, how about every 7th of the month, let's release listeners' episodes. There we go. Where we're going to read a few stories from you guys. Every 7th of the month, we're going to release an extra episode for everybody. Yep, we, we have, have some, some great s- stories. Great stories to start off with, but we would love to have more. So, and here's the kicker: we don't know the stories before we read them. We know a few of them only because we recently just started this. But my husband has been dying to be part of this podcast, <laughs> <God>. <laughs> so his part is going to be reading the emails and reading which stories go into our listeners' episodes. So you are going to be hearing our first initial reactions to your stories. So the ones that have already been sent in, obviously we know. But from here on out, from here on out, Alex is going to choose. Okay. (laughs) So look out for that starting 7th of December. If you'd like an extra hangover from us, 
drink this drink from this week, <laughs> but also join our Patreon. It's five dollars a month. You can find us on Patreon Killer Hangover Podcast. It'll be linked in this episode as well as on our social media. Find us, join us. It's super fun. This is super fun, and we're going to send a little extra. For the holidays, you're going to get a little something extra in the mail. So make sure when you join, you message us your address so we can send you our welcome gift. This was another good one, Mom. It was, sweet pea. Cheers, Mama. Cheers. (laughs) Love you, kid.